Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 149, Lives Willingly Given. This week we're discussing the broader themes and character development of season 5 of Buffy, as well as season 1, episode 4 of Battlestar Galactica, Act of Contrition. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so we're wrapping up season five of Buffy. It's hard to believe um, that we're like five yeah. seasons in already. It is. It's crazy. It is. No, it's, <clears throat> it's every so often I realize. I mean, say already. Uh, what's it been like? Three, uh, how long we've been three doing years? this? Three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Um, um, yeah. Holy cow. Actually, we should figure out when our anniversary <laughs> is because it's probably like soon. I um, think it's in like May or June, isn't it? Which yeah, means yeah. by the time this we release this, it will have been already. It will have passed. So oh, wow, that went were... that went by fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think you wanted to start with some, like, acclaim and awards because yeah. there's quite a lot of it this season. So it's, you know, yeah. worth going over. Well, one of the things I was saying is wh- one thing I had wanted to do and actually ended up not doing because it got too complicated and then I forgot. Um was I wanted to see like sort of season by season how this one stacked up. Um, and it so sort of the complexities of it get muddled because when you have with certain awards, like you have some, well, many that are like calendar year awards. So then you end up overlapping with like half of one season, half of another. And then sure. um, there are, there are some actually TV specific awards that um, are more geared towards the TV season, but um anyway in, in looking here uh yeah this season and and I've sort of been like you I bring it up every now and then but I've sort of been making the continued case that like a lot of people say season three was sort of the epitome and climactic you know season of Buffy I refuse to believe that I think it's still <laughs> going strong and and while I might agree that like maybe season three was the most even season i uh-huh. i would say like the i mean you have i okay so i'm biased and we'll get to like our favorite episodes but you <laughs> you have in in this season my favorite ep- episode of the entire series so like right that if not like your favorite episode of television right like, exactly ever. like, like <laughs> probably at least within my top five of all television series ever uh yeah you know like so like if you think of that as maybe like an umbrella and it sort of like pulls up the rest of it. And yeah, some, some of the other seasons, you know, episodes this season might hang a little bit lower. Like, I feel like they're just that one's so good. And there, and there are a lot of other good, like I don't want to discount other episodes this season either. There are a lot of other good ones that I think just sort of lift the season as a whole. up. Yeah. Um, even though, it might not be as even as maybe season three is with regard to, you know, the goodness of each episode. Sure. Um, sure. But I also, but like, I also feel that way because, because you are getting the number of awards and recognition that are coming now um, to the show that just weren't Mm -hmm. there in previous seasons. And, and again, without doing the official Mm -hmm. account uh, accounting of it, that I don't think, really appear even in the later seasons once it makes the move to UPN and even though you still definitely get 
awards and nominations and stuff, I I kind of feel like this is the epitome of the acclaim, uh, you know, as far as being recognized for its achievements. Not to say it doesn't still continue to achieve, it does, just that of sort of the industry recognition, like this, I feel like is a good one. And so um, yeah. I want to start out with the Saturn Awards, um, yeah. which, uh, you know, Buffy just got a ton of nominations and actually several wins. Um, and so uh, I, I think we've talked about Saturn Awards before, but just reminder mm -hmm. that it's, it's, presented by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. And so it, it you know, encompasses those different categories in film, television, and all of that. Um, so we, we have actually, so we have like two award years that we're talking about here. First is award year 2000. So Buffy season five aired between September 2000 and May 2001. So for the award year 2000, you're really talking the end of season four and the beginning of season five. Um, but then we also have the award year for 2001, which is the second half of season five and the beginning of season six. Um, so for award year 2000, um, Buffy was nominated for Best Network TV Series, Best Supporting Actor in a TV Series for both James Marsters and Anthony Head. Both got nominations for mm -hmm. that category. Um, Best Television Actress for Sarah Michelle Gellar and Best Supporting Television Actress for both Alison Hannigan and Michelle Trachtenberg. So you've got, what's that, five different actors or actresses on the show yeah. getting recognition in different categories, plus the top, you know, network TV series billing. It won for Best Network TV Series, and mm -hmm. James Marsters won for Best Supporting Actor. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I should, I, I mean, I know we're talking about Angel next week, but I'll also note that Angel also <laughs> appeared in all of those same categories. So it's kind of like just from the premise of like the yeah. Buffy verse, uh, sure. you know, you're getting Angel as a TV series. You get Al Alexis Denisoff um, for supporting mm -hmm. actor, uh, Charisma Carpenter for uh, t for actress, not supporting actress, but actress. And then mm -hmm. uh, Juliet Landau actually for her appearance in Angel. Um, as supporting actress. So that's just 2000. Then in 2001, you get again nominated for Best Network Television Series, which it again won. So it won back to back years, Buffy did. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get Sarah Michelle Geller also um, again nominated for Best Television Actress. Um, James Marsters again nominated for a supporting. And then both Allison Han Hannigan and Michelle Trachtenberg. Uh, nominated for supporting actress um now yeah. again you know these bleed into other seasons but like for example michelle trachtenberg was only in season five so far so like that can all you know the fact that like half the year that we're talking about more than half the year because it's september right like that she's still nominated as part of the supporting actress just sort of tells you that like they must have especially been looking at season five um, sure so, I mean, and that, so this is just Saturn Awards. Um, we get into um, some other awards, though, too. So for the award year 2000, which, again, is is the second half of season four, beginning season five, they uh, Buffy got its only ever for the series Golden Globe nomination for, uh, again, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Best Actress in a Television Series Drama. Um, the American Film Institute for the award year 2001 also uh 
called uh, nominated it for the drama series of the year. Um, mm -hmm. Then you get into some more specialized uh, areas. Um, there's the Nebula Awards. So um, the Nebula Awards, uh, which is put out by the um, Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, um, the SFWA, the they you know it has different categories just like other awards. They had for um, a number of years the best script category, which mm -hmm. which uh, was actually started in the seventies and then kind of went away for a while and then came back in two thousand and went through two thousand nine and then like it they it's no longer a category at this point. Who knows? Mm -hmm. They might bring it back in another ten years. You know, they just they seem to like to do that with it. Um, mm, right. So uh, Buffy. Uh, specifically the body episode was nominated for best script for that category. And, and it's notable for a few reasons. First of all, it, for that category, it's the first time a television script was ever nominated in that category. Hmm. Before that, they were all movies. So in the seventies you had like, um, uh, uh, Oh, what's the, it's, it's people, um, Soylent Green. And, uh -huh. and so you had like Soylent Green, you had Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie um, won the category. Uh -huh. So you had like those types of movies in the 70s. Yeah. But then in like the 2000s, you had, um, well, like later in the 2000s, actually starting the following year um, in 2003, you had like all of the Lord of the Rings were like the movies winning it. Um, actually, the the year that The Body was nominated, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon won it. But you also had Oh Brother Where Art Thou was nominated, X Men. So like, you, I love the I love these sci fi awards. If I can, yeah, uh, if I can detour for a second, but they always have the most random crap thrown together in the same category. Like sure, like it's this apples are how do you how do you uh, compare the body crouching tiger hidden dragon a brother art thou and x-men right like, right well <laughs> like, and right and i just love these to put totally but like that's cool to see like right a, t a tv episode is in the mix with three movies that could not be more different from each right. other as and, movies. And, and so you have a totally and they're all you know, good movies and they're all good on their you know? own merit yeah, yeah. like they they're yeah. all you know all doing something different right. and doing it well right. so um, it's fun to see but it's always like the most random stuff <laughs> yeah but just sort of along with the fact that like you know they got buffy got its first golden globe nomination like to be thrown into this category yeah. for the first time to have an episode appear of tv appear in a yeah. category that's largely nominated and always dominated by uh, films is just you know spectacular yeah. um and just sort of and everything from like a popular blockbuster like x-men to like an oscar contender like crouching tiger like right it's it's up there with those kinds of heavyweights right you know um so uh the other thing i just wanted to note so so we do actually i'm sure we talked about this at the time you probably brought it up um you get episodes like blink uh and and uh Oh, I forget what the other one was. Um, oh, Girl in the Fireplace also uh -huh. were later nominated from Doctor Who. Um, yeah. BSG actually will get a chance to talk about BSG scripts being nominated later. So a little bit later. So Buffy does, you know, sort of opens the door for for yeah. for those other shows to have episodes yeah. nominated in here. Um, and then Joss actually went on to win the category um, in 2006 for the movie Serenity. Um, so that's kind of nice that he did actually end up get to win. Uh, and we'll actually also see, I, I don't want to discount Buffy because we'll see Buffy appear in other, uh, in the same category in later years. But anyway, yeah. again, like just sort of building on this idea that like the acclaim, you know, 
really builds the season. Um, we get yeah. um, the Television Critics Association Awards, which um, the awards actually run according to sort of the standard TV season year. So for the 2000-2001 TV season, which is where season five falls, um, uh, it, it was nominated. Buffy had three nominations. So one for individual achievement and drama for specifically Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, one for program of the year for the show, and then outstanding achievement and drama. Um, unfortunately, this was also sort of at the height of The Sopranos. <laughs> so they the, that show ended up taking up all of those categories um, and, like, sure. and like other ones as well. Um, sort of the one other thing that I thought was interesting when I was sort of researching all of these awards too, though, is... Um, Buffy did not get any Emmy nominations for this period and it was noticed. And I find that interesting because mm -hmm. like, like before, whether it got nominations or not, it was kind of like, Oh, you know, we've talked about nominations that it's got before, but it was just kind of like, Oh, that's a surprise. But now yeah. like people are expecting the show to get nominated and, right. and it didn't. And so Joss sort of had a response to that. Um, and he's, so it starts off sort of jokingly, oh, they're a bunch of meanies. Um, but he said he didn't think that, you know, Buffy really would ever get real Emmy nomination. Um, and just sort of talking about uh, his frustration for the actors just being, you know, the fact that it's really strong. And he's, he's talking about both Buffy and Angel at this point um, and, and wishing that genre shows would get more of that recognition. But, but you know, there kind of was like, you know, in reading sort of the news reports and the, well, news reports might be putting it strongly the like you know entertainment weekly <laughs> write-ups um you know there were people who were expecting that there would be some emmy nods um even if there yeah. were no wins at least some nominations and <clears throat> and the fact that it's getting noticed that buffy isn't getting those is kind of a big deal um so yeah i just i like i said i i will continue to um say that at least through season five, I feel like Buffy is still in an upward trajectory. Now we will get to season six eventually. We'll talk about the mm -hmm. UPN move. We'll, you know, talk about all of the, you know, storylines and stuff in the next couple of seasons. And we can talk about whether that continues. But I, I yeah. definitely think that up till now, like it's still going up. Like if you say, ah, season three was it, like you're missing out. You're not, you're not thinking about it critically enough. I, I feel mm -hmm. in my opinion. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's probably like kind of the truest mark of like a great genre show is like when it's winning all these other awards and not getting noticed at the Emmys. <laughs> it's like, you know, like it, there's still that, that sure. genre prejudice against, you know, but the fact that these other, um, you know, some of them are specifically genre awards, but you're getting noticed by the television critics of America, all these other things, you know, you have uh, other industry people and critics who are saying that this is among the best work of the year. And, and, you know, um, you know, there's still that ceiling for what a genre show can achieve, which we've talked about with Dr. Who, like I, Dr. Who has never had an Emmy nomination and maybe never will, you know, Battlestar Galactica really struggled for a long time. You know, you had, critics saying this is the best show on TV and yet it was getting for the most part snubbed at the Emmys. So, yeah. you know, I feel like that's kind of proves your point about Buffy that it had hit that, that, you know, 
exalted sphere of like really good genre shows ignored by the Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't want to imply that it never, I mean, we already talked about, cause like it got, it won awards um, for surprise sure. and innocent Emmy awards for surprise and innocence. Sure. But, but they tend to like, be the more, it's the technical. Right. Things. It was, it yeah. was like for surprise and innocence, which is a great storyline. It won outstanding makeup. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like, right. Okay. And, and then I think that's, that's sort of the, 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 that's, the level that Battlestar manages to get to is like special effects and stuff like that. But like what you really, I think what Joss is saying is like what, not that those things aren't achievements, but it's easy to give those to genre things. Like it's easy for the, the, the ivory tower to say, well, the special effects are really good or the makeup is really good. But like what, what you really want to see is the acknowledgement right. of like the writing, the acting, right. you know, uh, the show itself as a whole, you know, right. um, and, and, and those are the areas where it's like, you know, still kind of taboo. Although obviously like with the nebula, like Buffy's doing a lot to break, this is like really prefiguring TV, that whole revolution of, okay, we can put TV in the same conversation with movies, you know, right an hour long episode of TV can be seen on the same level as a feature film, you know, maybe not in terms of the budget and the special effects that it can achieve for the money, but in terms of like the storytelling, like a piece of entertainment, these belong in the same conversation, Um, Um, which is totally paving the way for, you know, not just Dr. Who and Battlestar and everything, but like even the Sopranos, like, you know, Having right. like other TV shows that are regarded well critically, you know. Right. Um. Yep. So, and anyway, I don't um, like. I know we need to sort of move on to other topics because we have plenty to talk about. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to to definitely you know sort of note all of those and that you know again without counting them up, I do feel like it. it you know this year or possibly maybe into the next season, it's got to be sort of the period of the most awards, um, just sort of all around. Like it's the height. The the peak. Yeah. 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 Peak Buffy. At at least as far as recognition, like, again, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say that recognition. Right. Awards don't necessarily mean that it's the best. Right. Right. But there, you know, there is, there is at least some merit there to say that like it's, it's getting better. Um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, um, so I know we, we usually around this point talk about our favorite episodes and, uh-huh. um, I, I do want to sort of put a disclaimer here that, um, I will acknowledge that you were under duress, um, in, <laughs> in picking your episode because <laughs> even though it might've technically been your turn to choose first, I sort of told you that if you chose poorly, um, you would no longer would, have a podcasting partner. You would disown me. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I just want to throw that out there. So with that in mind, go ahead. And I, let's, let's hear I had your this, choice. I had this image of, of you as Trump and me as Chris Christie, like begging, <laughs> begging for help with my eyes, you know, like where I can't say anything, but please like, help me out like of a, this situation. I, I think one yeah. of the memes I remember seeing there was like, him just sort of staring widely um and they were saying like when you're when you're waiting for the extraction team to come and it never comes <laughs> any my favorite was with the curb your enthusiasm music playing on the background like 
having the Larry David moment of dear Lord, what have I done? Um, anyway, yeah. this went on a big tangent. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, and I did kind of start by saying I recognize, I anticipated that opinion and, um, and already had sort of created my like backup plan. Um, and it's tough because I think, uh, the episode that you are going to talk about, um, is like the clear and only real choice. Like, is it every single person's favorite episode? Maybe not, but like, it's hard to argue that that's not like the best hour of television made in this season, if not, you know, in many seasons overall, um, even outside of Buffy. So, uh, but I want to kind of bring up your point too about uh, that episode, The Body, I'll say, since we're dancing around the topic. Um, you know, your point about that kind of raising the average of the season too, because there is this, I, you know, there's a conversation to be had about like episodic versus serialized storytelling in TV. And like, I'm sure there are pros and cons and everything, but like, you know, I feel like that's one of the reasons that the the overall season is raised by is elevated by the the body because like last season you had hush but like Mm. hush is more standalone like the presence of hush doesn't necessarily raise the standard of everything around it whereas i think in order for the body to work at its height you really need a sense of it's it's culminating all this other stuff Mm. that's gone before and after it um but I do, at first, I want to talk about, uh, you know, one of the notable, to me, exceptions to the serialization, um, which was like the, maybe the other episode that sort of stood out to me as separate from the pack, um, which is uh, Fool for Love, which is mm. Spike's flashback um, yeah. and his sort of origin story. Um, and I think there's a lot of stuff that's interesting about it, like it did kind of stand out as like a very just strong standalone story, you know, where uh, we're getting this kind of, you know, uh, two streamed effect of like spike in the past and spike in the present and how are they the same or different. And it's telling us a lot about, you know, his character and everything. Um, But it's also kind of interesting to me and how that interacts with Angel you know, and how you have, you know, not just the crossover, but that acting with its sort of angel counterpart as like mm. kind of a two-parter where you're like sure. you're getting the same flashbacks, but from different points of view across the two shows. And like, so you have like Angel and Drew and Darla sort of turning up in the flashbacks of the Buffy episode and then Spike sort of being in the flashbacks. for So like there's a neat sort of, you know, like, I can't really think of, obviously there are other shows with spinoffs that do crossovers and stuff, but like, that seems very fresh and unusual to me. Like, that's not something that's sort of, right. maybe now it's, it. I feel like maybe that kind of prefigured all the like Marvel stuff now, you know, where you have like, 
you know, all these different characters from all these different universes sort of hopping around. But in general, that feels like a very unique sort of idea. Um, yeah, well, and it, and especially for those two episodes, how they sort of work together to tell one complete story, but sort of, you know, yeah, and even unless you watched both shows, you wouldn't really get the full impact of that. I, and I don't know if this is like <clears throat> the best example, but like say like even like something like Cheers and Frasier, right? Like sure, where you have yeah, like yeah characters from Cheers showing up in Frasier, yeah. but they're always like the intruders, and right. they and you don't you don't really feel like the two shows sort of share a common world. Whereas like with how you're describing it, like with, you know, the fact that you have like these flashback scenes and you're seeing it, like you're getting them sort of from the different points of view, but it's the same stuff. And there's like clearly like the same shots are used in some, in certain circumstances and stuff. Um, You're getting that, you're getting that sense of commonality between the two shows and, and that they have a common history and share the common world. And it, you know, it, it is just sort of like <laughs> a few hours drive down the Southern California coast to like Sunnydale from LA or something or where I don't even know which, what relationship yeah. they have to each other geographically maybe, but um, yeah, you do just get it, it. It sort of builds even further into into both shows that sense that this is all part of the same world, and they just happen to be like, you know, an afternoon drive away. Yeah, 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 and kind of giving you different perspectives on the characters themselves. Like the other thing it reminds me of is there's that kind of like Rashomon thing of like we're going to tell the same story but from different points of view and depending on what angle you look at it mm. it means something slightly different like because sure. that also reminds me of what in 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 a single show Lost used to do was like you know mm. we're going to show you know the same scene but in Jin's episode it looks one way and in Sun's episode it looks another and it's the same scene but you interpret it differently depending on whose point of view you see yeah. it um, it kind of but this, you know, a little more complicated in that it's crossing over between two different shows. So you sort of have to be eating both, you know, pieces of that to like really get the full experience. Um, sure. But, you know, and I don't want to say that it's totally standalone because I also like how in retrospect, um, it sets up a lot of the stuff that goes on later with Spike. Like, mm. um you know, I think it before you even get into his, you know, uh, titular crush on Buffy or his uh, Buffy bot or his, you know, sort of where they end up, which is him being uh, one of her strongest allies and being the one who, you know, in some ways she relies on more than anyone to protect Dawn above all else. Um yeah it kind of sets up all that and it sets up both the good and the bad of it, you know, because you have like there in his backstory, you have what we talked about, like his very complicated relationship to how he feels about women, which is both in some ways, very um, idealized and romantic and kind of in love with women and kind of obsessed with them and wanting their love for him and just wanting to sort of prove that and his sort of terrible, you know, purple prose poetry and all that. Um, 
But you also have like his kind of underlying the, the, the more complicated misogynistic elements of him not being able to handle rejection and becoming, uh, you know, kind of, you know, violent towards sort of women as a species when he's rejected by them. Um, and it kind of plays, it sets up both of those things, which I think are where it goes later with the character of like this love hate relationship with Buffy of like, mm. I want her to love me and I hate her for not loving me, you know, and that kind of like complicated reaction. Um, yeah. But also it ends with him uh, after they go through this whole big conflict, it ends with him comforting her after it, Joyce hasn't died yet, but it's, it's when she's getting sicker, I think. And Buffy's sort of getting worried about that. And Spike just mm. sort of wordlessly, you know, sits by her and is sort of there for her, which again, sort of prefigures once they're on the other side of all of their, you know, uh, conflict over the Buffy bot. Right. It kind of brings us full circle at the end where he's sort of, you know, there for her in the fight against glory and says like, you know, his whole speech about, you know, how you treat me like a man and how he's going to fight for Dawn and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah, it feels, I feel like it stands alone really well, but also like in retrospect, you can see how it sort of feeds into the larger you know, arc of his character and everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, and I think without giving too much away, um, I think that episode will continue to be relevant. Like, like I think it's one that we'll want to continue calling back to as we get yeah. more spike and more of his personality and history and whatnot. Um, I, I say I think I know we will. <laughs> but I mean it's a good one. It definitely I agree with you like it you know if if we're ex if we're excluding the body from a potential uh choice yeah. um it I'd be hard pressed to find another one that would be as uh good of a standalone article or a standalone Well episode. it's hard because you feel like because of that serialization the very things that make this a strong season, mm -hmm. they don't make them bad episodes. It's just harder to single them out, you know, because yeah. you feel like there's more of a flow. Yeah. It's harder for me to remember what happened right. in, it, in which one because they tend to have more of a continuation from from story to story. Sure. Um, and, and even, I mean, there are a few that I could think of that maybe would fit in. Um, family. With, which is Ter sure. Tara's sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, really strong um, Tara episode, yeah. Uh, might be one. Um, triangle, maybe even to, like, even that to a lesser extent, although that even, like, pulls in, you know, with Anya and Willow, sort of the tension that they have in the first, like, sort of half of the season, and then it sort sure. of gets resolved, and, and they're, they figure out sort of a way to work together in the latter half, especially when you think of, like, um or sorry did i say willow and anya did i say that um i don't remember uh that's what i heard but but, <laughs> but like especially when you think about what happens to tara later and anya's sort of willingness to um 
help out with yeah. her and and sort yeah. of you see the two of them sort of where they were maybe contentious over Xander like then by the time that Tara is sort of you know in her crazy mode you have Anya sort of offering to help and being like being genuinely you know wanting to help someone else um right <clears throat> so again like even though you might be able to talk about the episode like you still have that sort of arc part to it you know what i mean like sure. so yeah um yeah. just sort of to back up your points um maybe maybe the only other one besides those two would be like buffy versus dracula where um yeah you know yeah. like from a story a strict story perspective other you know if you excise like the last minute and a half <laughs> or yeah. not even that long like just when dawn shows up right um then you know it's fairly standalone but even that like i feel like we could talk about in sort of the context of the further series but let's hold off on that sure and talk about my favorite episode which is okay. the body of course yeah surprise <laughs> um yeah no i mean and honestly like i don't feel like we probably even need to talk that long about it partly because we talked so much about it before and yeah. and i feel like it it, it just it, it sort of speaks for itself i mean it's it does it's yeah. you know um you know again like I'll, I'll go back to that uh quote from ins the insidious dr fu manchu of um you know there is no incidental music to you know real the dramas of real life mm -hmm. you know and i just I, I feel like it's just such a perfectly executed episode it it gives you all of the um there, there's no supernatural aspect to it except at the very end when dawn is in the morgue and and you have the it's vampire, vampire there. yeah um you know it sort of completely and utterly forces you to sit there with the characters as each one is going through their own different but not so different <laughs> emotions you know um yeah. and and all of that so um yeah, I just, I, since the first time I watched Buffy all the way through, I have loved this episode and considered it my favorite. And nothing has convinced me to change my mind on that point. And I, yeah. I suspect nothing ever will. Um, sure. I don't mean to say that, like, that I, you know, that there aren't, I mean, obviously there are plenty of good episodes and, and reasons why people might choose other ones. but um this is no sometimes sometimes there's just the one this you know <laughs> you, you know and and for me this is still the only one that evokes the same feelings thoughts emotions every time i watch it when i watch it um and not to yeah. say that I, there aren't new feelings and emotions too but it's still like like sometimes i feel like a lot of times when you've watched something over and over and over again it's hard to remember exactly how you felt when you first watch it sure that's not the case with this episode for me like i still tear up i can i have yet to get further than anya's speech mm -hmm. and it like i'm not maybe outright bawling but there's tears there and they're just you know like her right. her you know declaration of it's stupid and mortal and you know all of that like just you know, anyway. Um, yeah. And we've talked a, around it a little bit, 
but obviously couldn't talk about it till we'd seen the episode. Is this the kind of, I'm sure it's not just this, but is, is that the kind of, uh, keystone of your Anya love of like her as a character? Um, I mean, part of it, I, I, mean, I would, I, 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 I know there's like arc aspects of like, okay, you can't talk about it in isolation. It has to be yeah. within the overall arc of the character. But um I yeah, I mean I I love I love with her that um so yes, part of it, certainly. I mean, because I mean, how could it not be, right? But I think I think it's I think it's exemplary. I don't think it's uh causal. Um sure. you know, I think I think it shows for Anya how um, two things. One, that she always says exactly what she's thinking, but that that her expressions are imperfect. And so even though she's saying exactly what she's thinking, that doesn't necessarily mean she's thinking or speaking clearly. <laughs> and so I feel like in, in this episode and in that speech itself, you get her being truly raw and you know direct with the like questions about you know will we see the body will we you know what are we supposed to do and then like her emotion as she's struggling to to say the right thing but doesn't know how I feel like all of that sort of encompasses who she is throughout the entire series even even with her growth and her arc and whatever like that Mm -hmm. that's who she continues to be like her understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to relate to other people changes for sure. But there's always that sense of I'm an outsider and mm-hmm. I don't quite know how to react in these situations. And I, and of course I think in some sense that makes her the perfect relatable yeah. character because that's how yeah. we all that's are. That's how everybody like, feels, especially in this moment. At certain times in our lives, but yeah, like, yeah. but particularly around death, like, you don't know the right things to say to people or the right things to think, or you have the absurd thoughts of like, man, I really need to go bathroom. Oh, I shouldn't be thinking about that. Someone just died. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. Well, of course you should. Like it's a human function, but you know, it like just those sorts of things where like you feel, so I don't, I can't remember if I told this anecdote uh, when we were talking about this episode, but like, it always reminds me too of when my grandfather died um, back in in the 90s, early 90s. And um, we were at my grandma's house and we were, I I don't even remember exactly what was going on, but you know, it was like, there was lots of family there and people were getting food ready and whatever. And my grandma was saying, okay, you go do this, you go do this, you go do this. And, and, And my grandma, who's like, you know, who actually herself just passed away last year, but you know, she was she's just like one of those people who's the nicest person in the world and you know just sweet whatever and then she stops and she says oh look at me telling everyone to do who died and left me boss and everyone just stopped and looked at her and and i think it was my mom or might have been one of my aunts or something said to her like like dad died and now (laughs) like it was just one of those complete and like her face just like you know, she was just so in the moment and so whatever. Right. And and she when she realized like yeah. exactly yeah. what she had said, like she was mortified <clears throat> yeah. and, and just that right. sort of thing. So I, I, I like in Anya's 
sort of speech that, that always sort of reminds me of that. So maybe that's part of the emotion too of it now that I'm, but now we've gotten into like psychoanalyzing myself, but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's no, that. but you're hardly the only person oh, yeah. to love this episode. Right. So I think it touches on something that's um, very universal. But, like I'm sure everyone has those moments sure. of, and when you're stuck in that grieving situation of not knowing where you lose all sense of what's normal and appropriate. And, you know, so we all feel like Anya, I think when we're in that situation, like suddenly she becomes the most human and relatable character because at least she admits she doesn't know what's going on, Um, you know? But yeah. So like to, because I've said that Anya is one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite. Sure. That's why I was curious. And and so, I mean, it would be hard to say that without sort of acknowledging that as right. a this as a strong of component yeah. of that um i don't um it's not the only thing though because like i would say too no, another, another aspect which which we get here so we get um in this season and maybe maybe with this we can sort of transition into sort of the bigger themes of the season um we get in this season sort of anya's um newfound capitalism streak right so um <laughs> which one i just find funny um <laughs> But, like, also, like, there's the sense of, like, her throwing... Well, it kind of started with the game of life, but well, it, really, but I mean, it really comes to full blossom. Right, like, like this is where this she season. discovers the term and, like, yeah. figures out what it actually sort of means to be a cat. Like, that's just like, oh, there's this thing called money and it can give me things, right? But, like, now it's yeah. like, now there's, like, a philosophy behind it or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. And and, so, and and it relates to her American identity. And, right. Yeah. Right. And and her sort of striving to be human and all of that. And um, I don't know. I just find I just find her sort of continued like struggle and her willingness to like throw herself, you know, when she decides to do something, it's like completely and um, and she has the uninfectious enthusiasm. <laughs> right. Like where she's always the one sort of like let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And, and whether or not other people are into it, it, they almost are just drawn to it because she's so enthusiastic, even though they don't really want to be. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and also like, um, I guess I would say just the, you know, the relationship that her and Xander sort of build and, and the fact that, um, we see some vulnerable moments from her, but we also see sure. um, her sort of loyalty and willingness to like, not discount those moments, but like to sort of be willing to trust Xander that, that he really says who he is and, and vice versa that like he is willing to trust her. And so I feel like you get um, one of the more like surprisingly given where, you know, Xander sort of started out and Anya, you know, separately sort of started out like surprisingly, I feel like one of the stronger relationships in this series so far um, between the two of them. So, yeah. 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 And it's interesting to kind of separate like, uh, like favorite characters out from a show or stories or whatever, because I feel like it can get kind of muddled of like, well, I like this episode or I like this story arc because it's about my favorite character. But then sometimes you think, well, no, it's because I like the characterization that I think that 
episode or that story is strong. Like right. it's like you said, it's exemplary rather than causal. It's not just like, well, I like the Anya episodes. It's like, no, because she exemplifies this thing, which I find really compelling. And that's what makes the story work. Right. Um, which is why you're drawn to it in the first place. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I was curious when you were talking about her speech in the body, like, you know, yeah, I kind of figured I mean, like, obviously that's not the only aspect, but I know you've said that she's one of your favorites. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So going back to something we've touched on a couple times here is this idea of serialization and how probably uh, it's been, you know, increasing each season with Buffy and here is sort of reaching its height, at least so far. I don't know anything about the next couple seasons, but um, this definitely is, I think, without contest, the most sort of arc driven. Um, mm -hmm. And like to the ex extent, like we said, where the episodes even become less standalone to a certain extent um you know and uh, you know part of that just kind of looking at it structurally is this idea that we get you know in previous Buffy episodes or Buffy seasons we've had a sense of building to the climax but not necessarily knowing what that was going to be mm. um or even like in was it season two or season three where you had this sense of like you know uh, different bads coming along and sort of passing the baton one to the other until you finally yeah. realized like, like Angel didn't start as the big bad of season two. Right. That was this <clears throat> sort of snowball effect of all the other things that happened. Um, whereas here we get, I think in the first two or three episodes, we get the introduction of Dawn who's like the central sort of mystery of the season. Mm. And you get the introduction of glory. Who's really the only big bad. Right. Um, yeah. Like we don't, we don't get any other, you know, individual villains in given episodes, but she's it. Like she's what we're leading to. And we get her pretty much in the first, is it by episode three or something? It's very early on. Yeah. Um. So I think that adds to it. Like the fact that, within that first couple episodes, you're being sort of told up front. These are the big obstacles that, and, and the whole season is not so much about figuring out what those are, but about, uh, you know, working to sort of resolve them. Um, mm -hmm. Which maybe also adds to the kind of, we're going to talk about the sense of loss too. I think it adds to that because it, it's not like Glory's only around for like the last quarter of the season. It's like there's a sense of like sure the whole season is about how are we going to beat this unbeatable villain, right? You know, right. who we are told up front is unbeatable, <laughs> and you have like twenty episodes or something, and who never is beaten throughout the episode. Like they all no, they continue like not to once. run yeah. from her the entire time. yeah. You're either you're either avoiding the confrontation or you're getting your butt kicked if, if you do. So there's this sense of impending sort of doom throughout, you know, of like the whole season, we're just building to this inevitable like failure. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything else to say about 
I mean, I feel like we've talked about Dawn and Glory, their characters. You know, I'm not sure what else we have to say about that. But just, you know, that's different than what we've had before. Sure. Um, it gives the whole season, I think, a different... There's more of like a a faded kind of feel to it of like we can see from far off where we're going uh and aren't sure sort of how that will work itself out yeah yeah no i think that's that's all right um but as you also pointed out before we started like with with that with the sense of building to this climax that also means they have longer to sort of plant the seeds for how that will be resolved. And so we get what you've termed Chekhov's checklist, you know, of like little uh, MacGuffins and items sort of peppered throughout the season that sort of lay the foundation for, you know, what happens in the gift and everything. Yeah. Right. So you get early on in the first episode where we see glory, you get the Dagon sphere, uh, mm -hmm. which is like sort of, and that's what they that's what they use right to like even find out who she is like they don't even know who she is and they sort of find yeah. out you know through this object but i i love that they like it's this weird mysterious object and like whatever and then they just like put it in the basement like of the magic shop like they don't even really yeah. do anything <laughs> with it until the final episode when anya reminds everyone oh hey we have this thing in the basement um, yeah, you have might come in handy. Yeah, um, yeah, you have the troll hammer, right? Um, which comes out in triangle. Uh, you have um, the Buffy bot, which um, I guess sort of the 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 early part of that is you know in I was made to love you with Warren, but then you know the actual Buffy bot doesn't come till a few episodes later. Um, and then um, the wrecking ball that Xander uses, um, we don't actually get like a wrecking ball earlier, but it's sort of uh, like maybe maybe the, the Chekhov's item there is like Xander's, uh, you know, finding his career path, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like it, maybe right. it's his construction maybe, skills. Maybe it's yeah. less of a physical thing and more of a sort of a metaphorical thing. But yeah, it's his... Right, it's his construction and, and stuff that he's like, oh, I know how to use one of these. So, you know, it becomes something. Um, and it's a mundane, non-magical thing. So it's sort oh, of, of course. Exempl as, uh, as opposed to the others, right, you know? Right, right. So it, it, it sort of exemplifies that uh, very down-to-earth human quality, which is sort of what he always brings to the table. And, and I didn't think of it before. I mean... Which which means that you end up for sort of the four main characters. Well, I guess it depends on who you think might go along with maybe the Dagon Sphere. Like if you think that that might be Giles. And then you have like the Troll Hammer, which is Buffy's strength. And then you have the Buffy Bot, which kind of goes along with Willow and her sort mm -hmm. of computer skills and stuff. Um, and then the Wrecking Ball with Xander. Like it kind right, of... Right, you only must get the four parts. yeah. Yeah. Trifecta, or not trifecta, but <laughs> the four part, tet, tet, whatever we called it. Tetrecta? Like, tet yeah, tetrecta. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, um, Tetratecta. Yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, so it, I mean, it's in a different way than 
you know, happened in season four. But yeah, like you can kind of think of it as that way of, of yeah, maybe everybody each one sort of represents, um, especially since like with the Dagon Sphere, like it required Giles to sort of look up information about, you know, glory and all that. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like each of those things, like you feel like those are, this isn't, you know, um, seeing someone pick up a ring from a fire and then deciding later that that could make a good story. Right. Like this, sure. like happened in Dr. Who. Um, all of these things feel like they were, like you said, planted specifically that when Joss and team were, you know, showing that arc of the season, um, you know, I mean, maybe they didn't specifically know troll hammer, but they probably knew that there was going to be like a conflict between, um, you know, Xander and Anya and Willow. And so whatever came out of that would be like something to help them later kind of thing. So I don't know. I feel like you get yeah. like these, these pieces that all sort of wind up, you know, being able to be used in that final act in that way. Um, right. Or you have a story about a troll with a hammer and it occurs to somebody to say, hey, we should hang on to that because we know we're going to have this climactic battle and this could be a useful sort right, of tool. Right. So make sure it stays in the magic shop and doesn't get like taken away with the troll or something. Right. Um, right. You know. Uh, yeah. So. So. Oh, and well, and sorry, you mentioned. You mentioned Doctor Who, and it reminded me of something I wanted to say, which I'm never going to be able to say again as uh, clearly as I articulated it to myself before we started recording. <clears throat> but um, it does have to do with glory and the serialization, too, because um, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, some other things we've talked about, of how each year the threat has gotten bigger. Um, right. Where, like, it really did start out with, like, uh, I know the Hellmouth could threaten everything, but really it's under the school. So you start out with this idea of like the school is under threat, you know, and then mm -hmm. you get a little bigger and suddenly like Sunnydale is under threat and then maybe Earth, you know, is under threat. And then now suddenly we're in the realm of gods and the whole universe is under threat. And right. there's sort of portals to other dimensions and like all of everything could sort of be, you know, put into this sort of demon hell. Um, so we're getting bigger. And so it does kind of beg the question, like, where do we go from there? How do right. we, how do you get bigger than everything? Um, and a weird kind of parallel that occurred to me when we were getting ready to talk was um, to Doctor Who and how um, you had the same sort of ex escalation through the Russell Davies years and then into the beginning of Moffat of like each year it got a little bigger up until I'd say the big bang, you know, Moffat's first finale where it's all of history. So it's like the whole written and, and recorded history of everything is sort of about to be unraveled. And, um, it, it, I kind of thought, all right, well then where did Moffat go after that? And rather than kind of go bigger in like size, he sort of went bigger in terms of like, I don't know, theme or something, because, suddenly in season six you have it's the doctor that's under threat you know mm. and you have the introduction in the beginning of the season of we see the doctor get killed yeah and the whole season 
um, is sort of about how do we either prevent that from happening or kind of end up showing that that's not what happened. Like it's about resolving that conflict. Um, yeah. And it made me think of what on his blog, um, uh, Phil Sandifer calls uh, narrative collapse of how uh, what makes a season finale different than a regular episode is how there's not just a conflict that has to be sort of resolved, but how in the season finale and what your big conflict builds to is that the show itself is under threat. Like not just like earth or a country or a person, but your very ability to tell, for example, Dr. Who stories mm. is threatened by say the death of the doctor. Um, you can't have Doctor Who if the Doctor dies, so that's the the threat. Um, or can you? Or can you? But it, it kind of made me think. That's kind of what this episode does. Is is okay? Yeah, we have the cosmic conflict with with Glory, but sort of the resolution is or non-resolution is that in order to save everything, Buffy has to die, and mm. this is a problem because you can't have Buffy without Buffy. And like from or the can meta, you? or can you? <laughs> but like from the meta point of view, this is in a way the bigger threat because like you know if if your hero and protagonist is is dead in a way, even though that's a more personal thing, that's a bigger threat to the show than you know any sort of big cosmic battle that you can sort of you know sure that's why i think sometimes in in stories you get people running into the problem of how, like bigger isn't always necessarily better like just because the conflict gets bigger doesn't mean it means more you know because it has to mean something personal sure. you know like it doesn't just get awesomer because there's like more you know people involved or whatever right, um right. there's like a miss miss correlation there but um and I think like Joss is addressing that of like, okay, yeah, the scale has gotten sort of about as big as I can imagine it getting, but also the real threat is about Buffy, mm -hmm. you know, and we were left at the end of the season with our hero sort of dead. And that's why like you get, you got fans freaking out because they thought that's the death of the show is like, you know, right. there she is sort of lying dead in front of us. And, you know, I mean, there's other things like, you know, WB being butts about it and like billing it as a series finale. Sure. But like that's that's the idea is like, you know, uh, kind of raising that question of like, how do you even keep going from here? Um, you know, I don't have any answers to that necessarily. I'm just saying like, you know, it's interesting to me that like just as the conflict is getting at its biggest, it's also like in a way the most personal but in a personal way that threatens like the very existence of like the story itself i guess sure um yeah we can talk about that at the end of next season um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that's yeah that's, it, this is all set up for it, yeah you know that's exactly the right sorts of thing though to uh be thinking of certainly um so let's see let's talk about family because there's you know 
in the season, there's a lot of stuff to do with family. Um, yeah. We even get an episode called Family. Right. Um, but let's not start with that. Um, okay. Let's start with, um, I mean, you know, we've, we've already talked about Dawn a bit and whatever. But um, one thing that I was, that I actually just realized um, as we were talking before the episode, um, <clears throat> and that I had never realized before, but it's kind of obvious when you point it out. Yeah. Is how uh, you start off the season with Buffy and Joyce, right? Normal, which, you know, it's been the two of them in the Summers household since the beginning. Yeah. And then you add Dawn. <clears throat> At the end of the season, both Joyce and Buffy are dead. And it's just Dawn. Um, right. So you have this complete inversion of the Summers household. Um, yeah to a point where a character who didn't even exist at the start of the season is now the only living summers left. Yeah. Um, I don't like that realization is so new that I don't know what to do with it. Um, sure. Or even if it means much more than just that, that's what happens. Um, but obviously like, this whole this whole season is about family and it's about learning how to live with family but also learning how to lose family and mm -hmm. sort of realizing what the purpose of family is um insofar as family has a purpose even you know what I, mean? I i guess purpose might even be too much of a sure sort of a you know whatever um i don't know that that's quite the right way i want to say it but um where so just thinking about um family and loss too so i'm kind of mixing this up together because i feel like they go together obviously given uh -huh. given what happens like if you sort of include riley as like you know solid boyfriend uh, at least like at the beginning of the season, he seems to be right. Um, yeah. you know, solid boyfriend. He's liked by the mother and the sister, you know, like, like he's sort of a part of the family and is like maybe potentially, yeah. uh, even marriage material at some point. Um, you know, but he's also the first one to be lost. Right. Um, yeah. With the into the woods episode. And then you have, um, you know, of course, Joyce, and then you have Buffy um, dying. And um, and there are, there's other sort of loss throughout the season, I guess. But um, sure. when you compare that with how season four sort of played out, where you get, you get sort of like the drifting apart, but then the coming back together of the Scoobies at the end to sort of, you know, defeat Adam and all of that. Um, this is a much more steady downhill <laughs> trajectory. Yeah. Like, like you get yeah. the loss of the boyfriend, then you get the loss of the mother, and then you get the loss of like your sibling, you know, or your own life, depending on which way you're looking at it from Don or Buffy's perspective. Um, yeah. You know, and that 
ultimate feeling of loneliness and 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 loss there um with no real like there's no happy conclusion right like you even you said like this is we we just end the season with like buffy's gravestone like that's it like this is not like a happy ending in any way where you know again versus season four where you have like oh yes you know we drifted apart in our first year in college but you know we came together at the end and now everyone's happy again and all of that um this just that just doesn't happen so you know this idea of family being crucial but also that part of you know part of being so crucial is that like you feel their loss so significantly and it just i don't know i don't know like that i have anything real revelatory to say about that other than just that's the trajectory it takes and and that's sort of becomes the the um thrust of the season um except to add that like then you also have like the scoobies so you have um and and again i'm gonna like mix in even more because i know we're kind of at the end here but you have um even as buffy's relationship with you know uh riley is sort of going down the pot um and, and uh you know the death of her mother and and all of that um and the troubled relationship that even she has with her sister um mm-hmm. when her mother's around but also like you know right after her mother dies and and you have like the threat of taking dawn away and that kind of thing um in the midst of that you have willow and tara being you know, growing together and and becoming so much more of a couple. And um, of course, the sad part when you have Glory sort of take Tara and, you know, messes with her mind and stuff um, and and that part. But then you also have Xander and Anya who become stronger. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And I think amidst that, the Scoobies themselves as a whole becoming stronger. Um, just as a team like with like you know going back to the episode family which you mentioned before where you have Tara sort of like that's sort of the moment where she's sort of fully indoctrinated as part of the Scoobies like you know it's not about biological family it's about the family you choose and then you have um, with Triangle you have uh, Anya really at that point becoming a part of the full team because you have Willow's acceptance of her. Like now you, you know, and maybe, you know, both Tara and Anya, like Buffy was sort of ambivalent to each of them on their own. But, but, you know, through the family episode with Tara, and I think, I think more, like there's more hesitance maybe with Anya, but even like at the end where you have, um, you know, uh, in the final episode where she's sort of saying to people, okay, let's think outside the box. What are solutions for, you know, fighting glory? And they're all like, well, why don't you give us some? And like, she rattles off all of our, you know, she rattles off Chekhov's checklist, right? Like, you know, and, and it's like at that point that you realize that like, oh, Anya is part of the team. Like this, like, like they look to her for a solution and she provided one like this is this, yes. it's no longer just like what are you going to do to save us all this is her actively contributing to 
you know, the cause. Yeah. Um, and, and the very thing that makes her different, which we talked about, of her not quite being fully human or, or thinking in the same way is becomes her advantage here because she can think outside the box. Right. Like, you know, she can think in a way that uh, isn't, you know, you, you know, quite the same as anybody right. else. So it becomes the thing that they need in the end. Right. So you have basically the Scooby group pretty much doubling, you know, with the, if you can, you know, include Dawn as part of that. Yeah. Um, although how much she's included with the Scoobies is maybe up for debate. Uh, sure. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, as, as a, as a group, like you have, you know, Dawn, Tara and Anya being added as a, yeah, as a family, um, as, unit, as a, I think she's definitely right, right. included. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Dawn is really the biggest embodiment of that theme of that. It's not about uh, who you're related to, you know, biologically. It's it's about, you know, who you accept into your family, because who is that more true for than for Dawn? Right. You know, right. of this key of glowing energy who is now personified right. and somehow found, you know, a family to stay with yeah. who... And, you know, and the protected her, the the declaration of, you know, this is summer's blood, like, you know, your, your blood is the same as mine, like, you know, how, how, how more familial does it get than consanguinity, yeah. right? Like, even, even, even though I know we're, we just talked about it, it's not, it's not the genetic or, you know, whatever, but like that symbolically anyway, there's, there's yeah. that tie there. Um so yeah, so anyway, I, you know, the entire season is filled with, you know, family, either loss of or gaining of, and, and sort of both of those things happening simultaneously um, in one way or another. Um, yeah. uh, and, and let's not forget the proposal too, Xander and Anya yeah. at the end, you know, in the final episode. Uh, and I mean, this, this sort of, I guess it's more like, you know, pre-engagement or whatever, you know, you, you want to call that because like, he's still like now that the world hasn't ended, he still has to go ask her. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll see how and when he may do that, but, uh, that's all part of it too. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so sort of aside alongside all of that um also just want to mention too that like with sort of their burgeoning relationships we also get willow um sort of respective burgeoning relationships we get willow and xander each sort of coming into their own um and like uh -huh. we've seen willow getting stronger and stronger with magic but like this is where we really see like her confidence is like yeah. greater than ever her skill is greater than ever um she's tapping into like powers that she's never tapped into before um and some of the reaction from tara especially with regard to that like the the whole fight that they have right with about yeah. you know where tara sort of slips up and says you know it frightens me like how good you're getting right. How quickly um, she's changing and everything, yeah. You know, so there's that aspect to it. Um, but Xander, too. Like, we saw a lot of 
last season in particular, Xander bouncing around from job to job, like not really. Well, I mean, first trying to do his like, you know, tour the world thing. And then he just gets down the road a little ways and has to end up working, you know, to like make ends meet and just to scrape enough money to get back to Sunnydale. But, um, but yeah, like now he has a steady construction job and he's, you know, seems to be doing pretty well with that um, to the point where like, you know, like he's getting hired to fix the window that, uh, uh, what's her name? The first, robot that warren makes throw spike through you know um oh i can't think of her name yeah yeah yeah. whatever um you know and and that sort of like he's you know he's competent like he's he's and and confident at the same time and and um that's sort of and i i i just remember too the replacement is this season too right where it's like the twins uh, his sort of it's at the beginning his, his, of the his season. doppelganger yeah. so like that's a great bookend for him of like we start from a place of zero confidence in his own abilities and where he even thinks like you know there's like the bumbling me and then there's like the idealized competent me who I won't ever be able to live up to and then you realize they're kind of the same person and like right both of those things are true of him. And actually he is good at his job and was getting like promoted from his own merits. So it's sort of setting up him to be a much more confident and competent character than he was like previously, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, Which, you know, I, I don't, necessarily when I wholly contrast that with Buffy, but I feel like part of the season arc <coughs> for Buffy too is is some something of a loss of confidence. Um yeah. not in competence per not a loss of competence per se, but a loss of confidence as more and more is taken away from her and she yeah. becomes sort of less and less sure of herself. Um to the point where you have her like going into a coma once Dawn gets taken, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's there's more of a sense for Buffy of her world sort of collapsing around her, um, whereas for Willow and Xander, you get sort of the opposite trajectory of things are going really really well for the most part until yeah. Tara gets her brain sucked, but. That gets re- yeah, but that but gets it, reversed. But it ends well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, all right. So we're over time. Um, yeah. Spike, we sort of talked about already, but was there anything else you wanted to say with regard to him? No, I think I said everything that I really wanted to say. Um, um. And then Giles, I did want to at least bring up just because mostly for the ending. I mean, I, I feel like we get Giles, you know, fairly steady being Giles throughout, like, um, sure. you know, he like sort of in the same way as Willow and Xander find their thing. He finds his thing with the magic shop. Right. So, like, you know, he's sort right. of back on and you get like the. Con- yeah, he finds some sort of place and purpose again. Right. Um, and you get sort of the, the confrontation, right, with the. um you know, with the Watchers Council and that kind of stuff. So, 
you know, so there is definitely um, some like you know more building. Like he's he's no longer just like the has been school librarian, <laughs> like you know whiling his hours away at home doing whatever. Um, but you also get the dark turn at the end uh, with his killing Ben, um, which we sort of pointed out was the first time. Uh, you know, except for Faith, which was an accident uh, yeah. of of somebody killing a human. One of the Scoobies killing a human. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of purposefully. And, yeah, and, and certainly, like, yeah, like, intentionally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that happens right at the end. So, you know, that's... I, you right. know, that's the, that's what we're left with where child right. is this concern Wh yeah. whether whether and how that affects things you know remains to be seen but <clears throat> um just that there is that sort of ruthlessness that we haven't really seen from him before yeah any anyway uh i mean i i really like this season i'm you know a fan obviously of the body but a number of other episodes as well and uh sure um yeah we'll we'll be back uh not next week but in a couple of weeks to talk about the beginning of the next season oh wait no we've got two episodes of angel before we do that <laughs> uh, did they come first what angel comes first i believe it does uh, I, I mean we can that. confirm that but hold on um if i I'm if i'm remembering right now. it does crap man yeah 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 yeah, we're doing our chronological thing, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> I know. I here I am thinking. Oh, and we're done. I get to go watch Buffy. And no, no, you nope. no, you don't. Not for another three weeks. I mean, I I guess I could, but I'd have to wait like three weeks to talk about it. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. No. 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 Yeah, I'm getting the veto. All right. All right. Well, any anyway, on to BS. On that note, you yeah. had some production notes, I believe. I did. I had a quick one. Um, wanting to be diligent about putting out writers, um, especially these writers because they're kind of important. Um, so this episode was written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, who are like writing partners. Like from what I can tell, they always write together. Um, mm -hmm. which is kind of unusual um not unheard of but sort of unusual uh so they had worked with ron moore also on star trek deep space nine which some other writers had like that's how he sort of found a few of his writing staff um and i want to point out that apropos of your mention of the nebula awards um this episode along with the part two, which was actually written by someone else. Uh, mm. Her name is Carla Robinson. Um, the two of them together were nominated for a Nebula Award for Best Script. So they kind of credit it to the three of them as the sort of writers. Um, so I just I just want to be clear. When I said we'll talk about some BSG episodes. Um, you meant like, I, I, like I didn't, an hour. I didn't think, I, I seriously did not think it was. Oh, thing. I thought you knew no. that. Because I'm thinking like, oh, interesting you should say no. that. <laughs> um, but, no, but, it's, this is 
literally the first one. But you know what's funny about it? Just because I happen to still have the page pulled up. Um, yeah. They lost to Serenity. Of course they did. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, that starts to happen as all of these shows sort of converge in the mid 2000s. You get sort of, you know, um, you know, all of them at, at in competition with each other. Um, you know, and interesting, again, it's 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 episode TV episodes pitted against movies and everything. Um again, in the same conversation. Um, but so obviously like, you know, this, that means that this two-parter is sort of, you know, pretty well regarded. Um, but I want to point out the writers too, because this writing duo, um, actually write, uh, a total of 15 episodes of the series, which I believe is, the most after like Ron Moore himself or like even like close to the same number that he writes. Um, so apart from him, they have sort of the biggest, you know, like a lot of the other writers you look and they have maybe three or four or maybe like five or six episodes to their credit. But this is the only other one that even approaches that sort of Ron Moore level of, of writing individual episodes. So they're involved for the entire series and obviously are very heavily involved in the writing. Um, you know, so definitely an important voice to sort of keep out an eye for. Um, and actually when I was like looking at all the numbers, like who wrote what and lists and everything, um, in my opinion, they write a lot of the really strong ones too. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Sometimes the the reliable writers that you see every season aren't always necessarily the best ones. Um, but I kind of feel like in this case they are. Um, sure. And they, you know, so a lot of the, you know, some of the season premieres and finales are ones that they wrote. And a lot of the episodes that are sort of, at least to me, are memorable for being very good, um, you know, are ones that they did. So, mm -hmm. uh I wanted to point them out as because we'll be seeing a lot more of them. Cool. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, part one of a two-parter. Um, right. Where do you want to start? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, let's start with the, well, I want to sort of just, let's point out the situation and the frame. Um, which are two different things. Uh, and then sort of maybe go from there. Um, so we have, um, we have this sort of like intervening frame, um, which is just of Starbuck in her ship crash landing. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and you don't really know what's going on until the very end when we sort of are finally able to piece together what, this is, but um, it's very kind of appropriate because I also feel like you get you get that literal crash landing that Starbuck yeah. is going through, but then you also have the sort of uh, crash landing of all the different relationships she has yeah. with people on the ship. Uh, yeah, literally the when you when you were saying that, that's literally what I was thinking was like, oh, 
I can't believe this never occurred to me. This is a literalization of exactly where her life is going right, right. now. <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah. everything is just going to pot and, yep. and she has to like hit the eject button right. and get out. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Which in a way, like because of all those things, um, which we'll talk about sort of each of the different relationships she has, um, and and the interaction she has with different people throughout the episode. But in a way, it's because of all those relationships going bad that kind of makes her maybe even a little more uh, reckless than she might otherwise be, um, yeah. you know, by going to take on the rest of the Cylons yeah. and stuff on her own. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, sort of. So then you have sort of the opening incident, right? Um, which uh you know you sort of see like you get starbuck and Zach, uh, i'm sorry lee and adama um all sort of fooling around and joking and you have um flat top is that his name who's yeah. who's like being celebrated for having done his thousandth whatever landing or whatever it is um which is like apparently some big like like that's like the big number, right? Like you get yeah. some sort of recognition. They seem to have yeah. like a sort of like unofficial protocol, you know, yeah. tied to it. Yeah. Like, you know, I, right. I like get how, me the wagon. Right. Yeah. Like Chief's really upset like that they don't have like a wagon around or whatever and yeah. um and how it would be completely inappropriate to like do this without one, you know, for whatever reason. Um Yeah, he'd be like embarrassed to be caught without it. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, just through <clears throat> age or stress or whatever, um, one of the, like, like a coupling or something snaps and, you know, a missile gets accidentally launched and exploded. Not a missile. Uh, they, they specifically say it wasn't a missile or would have been worse. So whatever, I forget whatever it actually is. But right. some sort of ordinance explodes on the hangar deck and kills um, Flat Top along with a number of other pilots. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to point out too that Flat Top, I think the only other thing we know about him is he's the same, he's the one that, I guess in the last episode, was it? Uh, or the one before, uh, where Starbuck was giving him a, a hard time about his uh, goofy landings, you know, when she's sort of, when Ty reams her out for being sort of unprofessional in her leadership. And as she's sort mm. of joking around with her blue humor about like, you know, uh, it, it's flat top that she's doing that. So I feel like that ties in too, to this attitude. We see both the, the, the memories of Zach and again, how there's, you know, these pilots that die not in combat, but in like accidental, uh, you know, ways sort of in your own landing bay and everything. Um, but also her, her kind of 180 attitude to the, to the nuggets, like how mm. we saw sort of her flippant approach and now we're about to see her very, you know, like, you know, uh, much stricter you know to a fault sort of approach um and it's interesting that it's like 
flat top, that that's the guy that kind of shifts that because she was treating his clumsiness very lightly before. Um, sure. And now like in, I mean, obviously it's, it's not his fault that he gets killed. He doesn't do anything wrong. It's just the machinery, but um, you know, he's the sort of pivot point for that attitude shift. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I hadn't actually put that together. Um, so yeah, so this, you know, of course that sort of, obviously they, you know, lose a bunch of people and that sort of thing, um, drives the need to train new pilots and whatnot and, and sort of mm -hmm. drives the plot of the story along, um, for this episode. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's pretty basic. Like there's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but it's the, all the stuff that we sort of learn about Starbuck and, the ways that she interacts with the different people. So let, I, I want to sort of start with Zach. So we have like the flashbacks of, yeah. you know, Starbuck and Zach. And, you know, we had had hints before this about that there was some kind of relationship, right? Like, you know, she's Lisa, Lisa says, Oh, Zach was my brother. And she's like, well, what was he to me? Like, well, okay. So yeah. like that clearly implies that he was something more than just an acquaintance, acquaintance to her. Um, and, you know, so without like pulling any punches, we find out that they were engaged, um, and clearly, you know, had been together for at least a little while. Um, possibly, you know, even thinking of like Ty and his sort of dressing down of Boomer previously for, uh, you know, her relationship with um yeah. the chief like this this seems like another situation there right you have a trainer you know a, a flight trainer who's who's talking or not talking who's doing way more than talking <laughs> with uh <laughs> with uh one of her students basically you know i mean yeah. talk about like inappropriate relationship like that yeah you know obviously like it clearly pans out that that was more than inappropriate because she ends up passing him when he shouldn't have been passed. And, and right. Well, and you get that that's kind of why there are rules like that, because when, you know, personal feelings get involved, you start to cut those sorts of corners and, uh, you know, yeah. pass people who maybe are not fully qualified. Right. Um, which is exactly what happens. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and I find it interesting in the flashbacks uh, that we see Zach kind of knows that. Like, you kind of get the idea that he knows he's not a very good pilot, and he's a little bit skeptical of Starbucks maybe, uh, you know, passing grades. You know, like, he's kind of interrogating her in those flashbacks, saying, like, really, you know, I passed. I don't want special treatment, you know? Mm. Um, all these things, which sort of implies that, you know, he's probably, um, at least to a certain extent, you know, aware of his own, you know, limitations, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and she flat out, she lies to him, you know, she denies it, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't pass you if you weren't, you know, if you didn't really do it and you weren't qualified, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, so you have that, right? So, and of course, and so we know that Zach dies and, um, 
Starbuck feels that it's her fault, and it kind of is her fault. <clears throat> sure. Um, and and dies apparently before he can even like he doesn't even officially like get promoted. Like he doesn't officially even pass. Right. Like it's on his last like thing test or whatever that he dies. Right. Um, right. Because Adama sort of points out that Zach had wanted him to come for his like final whatever what whatever right. ceremony. Right, graduation, graduation or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, he didn't even officially graduate. Like, so, like it was, like, the last step that he had to get to that, you know, he is where he died. Um, so, that all, those feelings of inferiority are sort of what drives her relationships with the Nuggets. I'm going sort of out of order here from what we initially talked about, but... Um, sure. She feels sort of inadequate when Adama asks her to, uh, not asks her really, orders her, <laughs> yeah. um, to start training some new pilots. Um, so you get these like civilian pilots who now need to be trained to do, um, combat, right? Yeah. And you know they're civilians, so they're undisciplined. They're everything that Ty hates. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like you get her like irritation when she comes on <clears throat> and says, you know, officer on deck or whatever. And like, they're just sitting there like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> like they don't even acknowledge yeah. her um, and all that. And then, uh, uh, you know, she fails them immediately because they can't land appropriately. Cat um, right. has to, uh, you're a very bad pilot, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, this is going to get confusing. Yeah, the um, uh, the the character cat um, is not able to make an appropriate landing, and uh, it just really pisses Starbuck off. <laughs> and and she basically says, "Nope, you you know I can't train you. You're done." Washes them all out. Um, Right. Well, and you get too that these are impossible standards that she's setting. Right. It's sort of a you you must be perfect on your first day, otherwise you will not pass. That those are sort of the terms that she unofficially sets. Um, anything less, which is 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 you know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just. I was just gonna say like, which is the pendulum swinging, the complete yeah. opposite way from Zach, right? So she's overcompensating for her yeah. mistake. Uh, that she made with Zach, um, where she was too lenient. Now she's being too harsh. Um, yeah. Which is precisely what Lee tells her. <laughs> right. Like you can't wash them out on the first day and he orders her to continue training them. But, you know, apparently there's, there's sort of a, like the trainer is sort of, is sort of a sacrosanct position. So, you know, while she's still like, in the uh, hierarchy and would report to Lee, like she has sort of full autonomy to train as she sees fit. Yeah. Which, which makes a certain amount of sense. Like in that, like you wouldn't want like a, maybe a higher officer to like, well, precisely the sort of thing that that sort of rule would avoid would be sort of the nepotism. Right. So you, like having Adama, Past Zach, right, pull strings yeah, for his son. Yeah, yeah, but 
it didn't work out that way for for whatever no the problem is that the instructor was also compromised but that doesn't mean that adama wasn't compromised as well as the you know the father um um but yeah yeah but that's you know just that would be sort of the rationale behind the autonomy of the trainer to sort of decide one way or the other um that doesn't necessarily mean the trainer is not human and doesn't make mistakes yeah. right um so you get that argument and and so then you know you get lee going to his father um and sort of the and it, like there's that initial confusion where lee sort of thinks like oh adama already knows or you know my dad already knows about what right. happened to zach and then the realization that oh he doesn't actually know and so that becomes a topic of conversation between uh, Starbuck and Adama. Um, yeah. And so we can take this. I mean, I know just like I've just sort of been summarizing here. Um, sure, but, sure. But uh, the conversation between Adama and Starbuck is definitely more of substance i think and and it's sort of like the what i would consider at least the kernel of the episode um yeah yeah and and i think uh you know we've been getting how in some ways adama is a lot you know we have this idea of like adama is like the the the, the everybody's dad right mm. but like he's everybody's dad more than he's like Lee's dad, <laughs> but like in particular sure. with, uh, but in particular with Starbuck, you know, mm -hmm. you get the idea that like, and he even says you're like a daughter to me and everything, but you get the idea that they are, you know, closer at least in the past couple of years than, than he is with Lee and maybe closer than Adama is with any of his crew. Mm -hmm. Um, that like, he really has this sort of fatherly and mentoring, attitude to her and I think like one thing that struck me watching it again was in the flashbacks of Zach's funeral you get like a separation where um Lee is sort of standing with his mother sort of comforting her and Adama standing with Starbuck like it's not it's no longer the Adama family unit mm. you know that gets sort of fractured when Lee dies or when Zach dies um sure but you have but you have this new connection, like he finds in realizing that Starbuck and Zach were going to be engaged. Um, you kind of see Adama sort of take her under his wing a bit and sort of adopt her. And like, he even like takes her hand and holds it in the funeral and everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, you're kind of getting like a really, you know, in that, continuing that Buffy theme of like adopted family and everything you're getting like a really serious, you know, this isn't just, you know, an officer dressing down his subordinate for her mistake, although it is that, but you're getting like, he's, he takes this personally too, you know, because it's his son. It's not just you did something unprofessional and inappropriate, but you know, a Dama who, We've had some speculation to what extent he's responsible for Zach's death. Um, Adama kind of putting that on Starbuck. Like, you know, like, that's pretty harsh at the end where it's like, 
walk out of here while you still can. <laughs> like, right. I like can't imagine a worse thing for like a child to hear from a parent, you know? Um, sure. Like it's hard to imagine a much colder sort of response than that. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and like one of the few moments that Starbuck really shows any true emotion, right? Yeah. Uh, like so far in the series at all. Yeah. Um, and the disappointment that she seems, you know, that apparently she feels. Um, I mean, not, I, I don't mean that in a, like the way I said that I, could have been taken like sarcastically. I don't mean it that way. I mean like like she sure. she normally is very reserved and doesn't show emotion. So she's being very apparent about the emotion that she's feeling there is what I meant by that. Um yeah. But she does go and do her job. Right? Like I mean that's what he says to her. He says, you know, put the uh uh trainees back on flight status and do your job and that's what she does like she you know goes back and says it's my job to be uh sort of impassionate and and to fail or or pass you on the merits regardless of what i think about you personally or whatever um yeah and then she goes out and and you get so, you know, it's kind of funny that we talked about how this episode is like Starbuck versus everybody. So, you know, you have Starbuck versus Lee, Starbuck versus Zach, Starbuck versus Adama, <laughs> um, yeah. and even, you know, like versus Baltar and, you know, whatever. The one exception to that is when they're out, you know, she's out with the Nuggets training and you get Ty who normally is the first one to sort of criticize Starbuck actually giving her compliments. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, of course, I mean, yeah, she's not around, so you can't actually hear them, but you know, it's like just that thing of, you know, in an episode where Starbuck is literally butting heads with everyone ties, the only one who like says anything good about her <laughs> in the entire episode. Right. Um, so just kind of funny, but, but you also get a sense of, of like, one, not only that she's being effective, right? Like she's, you know, they're, they're learning, right? What did we learn today? You know, don't, don't leave your leader. <laughs> okay. Yep. Like, you know, being, this is very didactic and, and seems to be working well, but like, you can tell she's also sort of enjoying it. Like this is what she should be doing. Yeah. Um, until, you know, they run into a big group of Cylons. Uh, yeah. So you, no, yeah, you get you get a window into why she's a good flight instructor when she's not obsessing over the guilt of her right. dead lover. It's like this is she she is a good in flight. Like nobody questions that she is good at that. Yeah. Um, you know, and we get when she finally gets sort of put back in her place by Adama, we get to see that. Um, you know, like she would be a good teacher and she does enjoy it. Um, and they're learning effectively. Like it's not clear exactly how much time has passed, but like they're advancing and 
doing well. And so like, they're actually able to learn from her and everything. Right. Um, so you get, uh, you get them out there and facing the Cylons. Um, she orders all of like the three that she's with to go back. Um, but of course you get hot dog being a hot dog. Um, and, and who I want to point out hot dog is played by Bodie Olmos, who is Edward James, almost his son. So fun fact. Um, there you go. Yeah. And hot dog sort of a, Goofball. I like that that that's how he gets his call sign. Like it can just be like your your instructor was pissed off that day. And so that's how you get your permanent call sign. Right. It's like <laughs> you know, whatever 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 they say, it sticks, you know, right. and you get stuck with like a really lame call sign that you have for the rest of you know right. your life. Or everything. or chuckles um, because like he's he smiles too much, basically. Like, right, right. There's no good reason. And, and well, and Kat doesn't have one, or at least not yet. I don't remember if she gets uh, a better call sign well, than just her name. <laughs> well, well, Kat's interesting because I think maybe we, I can't remember to what extent when it's talked about, but Kat actually is her call sign. Um, it just, it's also like a shortened form of like her name too. Oh, okay. But that's like a whole other discussion, I think, to be had about Cat. Like, why is that the call sign? Um, but yeah, because it's unusual. Like, normally the call signs aren't related to the actual, like, your name. Um, so it makes her sort of unique, I think. Um, so, yeah, you get Hot Dog going out and like following Starbuck because what did we just learn, students? Never leave your leader. And, and yeah. of course, I mean, he also just wants to show off, right? Like, I mean, sure. this yeah. is, this is like, oh, I'm not going to miss a chance at having some fun and getting some action. Um, yeah. So, of course, he goes out and he gets one, but then like gets hit and knocked out of the fight. Starbuck sort of takes all the rest of them out. Um but the last one that uh and and he gets found right so you you get the um alert ships coming out from galactica and, and they find him but can't find starbuck um she gets hit gets knocked um you you know her communications get knocked out first and then she gets hit by the last cylon plane um or ship or whatever and gets sort of sent on this trajectory to the planet um, below. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we see, like, you know, the, the frame picks up, right? Yeah. Um, with her sort of ending with uh, having to eject from the wreckage of her ship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of Starbuck in this episode. Uh And a lot of, I mean, you know, there's, I guess the thing that, you know, I want to make sure we point out too about Adama and sort of that is that you get the sense of him 
like, yes, he says to her, you know, leave now while you still can. But at the end of the episode, when um, you almost get the same thing as with Lee, right? Like in the, in the, was it in the miniseries or the first episode or whatever, where you think he's dead. Right. And then like, he suddenly realizes like, oh, maybe I should have had a better relationship with my son. Right. Um, right. Right. You right. Get, it's like they say, never, never go to bed angry. Like, you, get, you know, yeah. there's that feeling of like, it, it takes this kind of uh, emergency to make you realize how much you love someone, even if you're angry at them. Um, yeah. And so you certainly get the same sort of thing here with Starbuck where, uh, you know, he's saying like, oh, she'll make it, she'll make it. And, you know, yeah, the evidence appears to be contrary. Um, to his right. statements, so um, right. I I don't know what more to say about all of that than that. Any sure. thoughts to add there? Yeah, well, I I just wanted to point out too, like uh, after okay, the mini series, um, and then thirty three is sort of the pilot episode, like the first episode. Um, even though they're heavily serialized and like arc driven and they're continuing and carrying on storylines from episode to episode, this is like the third episode in a row that's been very specifically centered on like one character. Like, you, you know, we had like, you know, the boomer episode mm. and then we had the Lee episode and now we have the Starbuck episode. So um, kind of interesting, you know, I'll be, I don't quite remember at what point that, uh, fades off that's not necessarily how every episode is done in this show but it's interesting like at least in the first season while we're getting to know the characters that's kind of how uh they're being set up sure um you know there's other things going on obviously but it's very clearly centered around like one central character right right um so we had a few other characters though that we did want to talk about. So let's um so we get Roslyn comes to Galactica and gets her uh checkup with Dr. Cottle, which I, yeah. I just think is a great name. Uh, because yeah. he's you know Cottle is of course the character name is spelled C O T T L E, but if you think of it as Cottle, like C O D D L E, uh you you get the sense that like it's a very ironic name. Um you know, he's very sort of gruff, um, smokes, yeah. has a terrible bedside yeah. manner. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, he's not very, like, huggable. Like, he, um. he, he <laughs> criticizes her for not having breast exams often enough, um, you know, and and then just, like, smokes. And when she says something, he's like, yeah, I don't care what you have to say about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, like, when she... Rolls his eyes at, like, any ideas yeah. she has or suggestions right, or whatever. Right, right. So she... Uh, you know, says she wants to look into like alternative medicines and he's like, Oh, you're yeah. one of those. <laughs> like, yeah. Like totally dismisses her and, and whatever. Um, yeah. So I just, yeah, I just think I, I, I think he's funny. Um, yeah, no, he's a great character, but, but you also get that moment right at the end of that scene where he says to her, you know, you might want to pray like where you do get the yeah. sense of like, he does like 
not that it's like not that he's like putting on a face or anything, but that he's you know as gruff as he is, like he does at least sort of understand that like she's going through something tough and you know if yeah. however she can get through it, like she should try to do that. Yeah. No, he's not he's not uncompassionate. It's an interesting line to walk because like his his gruffness doesn't equate to an unfeeling, you know? It's it's just that he's a very like curmudgeony kind of guy. But um, you know, but he's very sincere, I think, when he says, you know, you might want to consider prayer. Like, um, he's very aware of what she's facing and I think is compassionate towards her about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and interesting too, like we get, uh, you know, I think it's the first time we're hearing some of these like medical terms, like, um, like gamma treatment and Kamala extract and stuff. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, there, there are words for like, you know, chemo and uh you know she maybe wants to do like medicinal marijuana or something like you know like uh you know some sort of like holistic uh you know healing rather than like uh you know she talks about uh you know her being motivated by which you know is something a lot of people have to face is is the the cure worse than the disease kind of thing of like yeah watching her mother sort of deteriorate before she died anyway. Um, and, you know, with things being in the situation that they are in this show, her having to decide, is that worth, you know, putting yourself through? Or is it better to sort of stay healthy and give your all for the short time that you have rather than, you know, uh, you know, put yourself through the misery of that. So. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously setting it up for more decisions to come, but, uh, good introduction, I think, to sort of coddle and the like medical side of the show. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also still like we've talked sort of even from the beginning of how, uh, you know, you get both sides, you get like the scientific and you know, real like military and like tactical stuff. But then there's also the, the religious or spiritual aspect with like the alternative medicine and the prayer and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sort of how they're both at odds, but also kind of, I don't know if symbiotics right word, but at least like living side by side, you know, together. Yeah. Um, even with, and I think, even with the ceremonies, you get that sort of thing, right? So there's there's obviously the very practical sort of thing of when people die, you have to, you know, do something with the bodies or whatever. But you have yeah. you have very sort of strict ceremonies, and you get sort of the interweaving of the flashbacks and the present, uh, you know, with with sort of the language and stuff being used. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, all right. Well, la- yeah, oh, and sorry. the uh, well on that theme too. The um, 
the ejection of all the the bodies into space like this kind of um you know ship ocean funeral you know of like yeah you do your funeral and then you dump everybody overboard kind of thing um you know yep i think the first time we're sort of seeing that that's sort of the protocol out at space is you sort of get a you know a sort of maritime burial i guess yeah um well we wanted to touch you know there's not too much but a little briefly on uh Hilo and Sharon um yeah because they they track their signal uh to an abandoned restaurant mm. and then find uh an empty fallout shelter mm. um underneath which is fully stocked and so it seems like the signal is sort of on autopilot rather than having been left by anybody in particular. Um, so, but, uh, or at least as far as we know. Um, right. But you get that they, they have some more supplies and everything. So it sort of is uh, a welcome, you know, discovery, um, you know, and number six is sort of hovering in the background, sort of reminding us that they've been tracked this whole way. Yeah. So, you know, the Cylons are sort of still watching them. Well, and so you sort of have to wonder. They find this fallout shelter that is stocked <laughs> and everything. And um, Hilo sort of comments on it, right? Like, oh, you know poor person who like stocked all this and never got to use it. Um, yeah. There is a part of me that wonders like, is this, is this bait? Like, is this sure. something that the Cylons set up, you know, specifically sure. to track to, to, for Hilo to, you know, attract him to the point. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I mean, I like, we don't have enough to know either way. So you know, we can't really yeah. say it's just, that's a potential. That's a possibility. Like maybe, maybe yeah. they were leading them there all along. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a definite possibility. <laughs> but. So just in our last couple of minutes, um, Mm -hmm. I also did want to touch on our, on the, uh, you know, the, the little, uh, card game, um, because there is the, the implied conflict between Baltar and Starbuck continuing her, um, conflict theme. Um, but there's mm -hmm. a few other things going on as well, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get a uh, crash down, uh, sort of pumping Gata for information about the Cylon detector. Kind of, he seems to be like, I don't know, the resident conspiracy theorist or something. Like, he's the one who's always talking about, like, oh, did you hear the rumors about the Cylons look like people and everything? Um, right. You know, and uh, and and Gata interestingly sort of refusing to budge. You know, um, he takes his orders very seriously and you know uh he sort of denies very cryptically you know 
what silent detector. And if there were one, I wouldn't be able to talk about it. Um, right. So, um, you know, and Baltar kind of deflects the question with like a joke at, you know, Crashdown's expense about like how he smells bad or something. So um, the two of them sort of fending off questions, but um, yeah. Interesting to me too, that like Gata's playing cards with the pilots. Like, I kind of wonder, like, is this what they're doing rather than working on the silent detector? Right, it's like, right. It's like you show up for for work and the boss says, let's go play cards. <laughs> sure. Rather than do what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but um, we don't actually see the circumstances, but it kind of gets me wondering about that. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, I don't have anything else. So I guess right. we'll, uh, we'll be back. So we'll be talking about Angel and sort of the season two of that show and uh, some more BSG next week. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.